Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Happy February. I hope that you are doing so good today. I'm so pumped that January is over because we're getting closer to summer, which always feels so freaking good. And today we have an awesome guest. We have Dr. Megan Gallagher, who is a clinical psychologist, who is going to come talk to us about emotional regulation. I think this podcast is going to be super amazing. And on top of it, I think it's a really great time as we are continuously coping with all of the things with the pandemic, like it's almost been two years now, um, here in Ottawa, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of stuff happening, we can feel that our central nervous system is a little bit agitated, right? Like we can feel that we're maybe a little bit more stressed, a little bit more overwhelmed. We may be feeling all types of ways. So I think today's podcast is, is like in perfect timing just to like help us cope differently, maybe understand our emotions a little bit differently, take a little bit stigma out of our emotions. So I think this is going to be a really great podcast episode. I also want to say that February is Eating Disorder Awareness Month, and I'm super excited about it. If you guys know, I own a practice here in Ottawa called The Balance Practice, so we're a team of dietitians and therapists, so currently we are five dietitians and two therapists who specialize in eating disorder care, and during this month, we're doing a lot of work to bring even more awareness to eating disorders, so we know that during the pandemic, Eating disorder cases are on the rise, especially in teens, and we are here to help. So we've actually just launched last month a new eating eating disorder outpatient program. So this is a program for folks who are recovering in their homes who need more support. So through this four-month program, we are supporting our, our clients recover from their eating disorder. We do offer uh, one-on-one with a registered dietitian when I'm with psychotherapists, group-based therapy, parent support, partner support, and meal support, as well as all care coordination. This, I'm so excited about this program because I've been working on this for months with my team and it's finally ready um, to launch, which is super, super exciting. We have a lot of great, wonderful humans in the program. And we're, we're so excited to be able to support folks in outpatient setting and offer higher levels. Like we wanted to do things differently in eating disorder care. We wanted to innovate what people typically do within eating disorder care and just bring even more support to our clients. So we're really excited about it. If you have any questions about eating disorders, if you yourself think you may have an eating disorder or a loved one, 
I am always here for you and to connect with you. Please don't hesitate. I'm here to bring awareness. I'm here to help you as much as I can. And if our services are aligned for you, we'd be really happy to support you as well. We know how difficult it can be living with an eating disorder and even supporting someone with an eating disorder. So you can go to our website at www thebalancepractice.com. We also release a new blog post this week talking about how we can support someone with an eating disorder. So if you're a parent, a loved one, and you are right now supporting someone who has an eating disorder, this would be a really great um, place for you to go. Go check it out and see um, if it can help you. Okay, on that note, now I've done my spiel around eating disorders. If you have any questions, again, never hesitate to send an easy us an email at info at thebalancepractice.com. Always happy to connect. And now we're going to get into this episode with Dr. Megan Gallagher. Again, I'm so excited to have her here today. She is a clinical psychologist. She's someone who's actually came to talk to the Balance program. She gave a two-part presentation on emotional regulation and body image, and she is so wonderful. Not only is she a wealth of knowledge, she's also so human and down to earth. Like she is so fun to talk to. She's just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I'm so excited for you to listen to this podcast episode. And I really hope that you will enjoy it. All right, my friend, on that note, enjoy this podcast and I'll catch you next week. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I'm so happy that you are here with us today. Today I have Dr. Megan Gallagher who is here with us today. I'm so pumped to have you on. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. I know I was telling you when we were chatting about this that like I love the podcast and you've been in my ears on a lot of kind of COVID walks. So yeah, really glad to be here and to be able to join in. Yes, I'm so pumped too. I feel like we've been following each other on social media for a while. And then you came into the group to give presentations. I'm like, yes, this is going to be so good. Yeah, we had a lot of hang time this month. Yeah, yeah, this is good. This is good. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get started, um, for the people who don't know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what got you to do the work that you do today? Sure. So I am a clinical psychologist at Integrated Wellness in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, I came to work in the field of eating disorders personally, I guess, through kind of my own experience as a teen. Um, for me, I was always involved in kind of pretty body conscious activities, um, things like dance. I was a synchronized swimmer. I think I really benefited from being surrounded by some adults like coaches, parents, people in my family who weren't big dieters. Um, so that when things got rocky for me, there were a lot of adults in my life that kind of said, you know, no, no more. Um, also benefited from, you know, the, the Greek nurse mom who really kind of took charge of some things and got things on a right track pretty quickly. But especially being in that environment, you know, with my own experience, um, that of, of friends, of teammates, really got me interested in, you know, body image, eating disorders. And then when I started my studies in psychology, my, um, my abnormal psych prof did a lot of research in the area. And then I just started doing my research in terms of my, my master's thesis with him. And he got me linked in then with the program at Ottawa U, where I got to come and do my studies and work with the eating disorder team at the Ottawa Hospital. So that was sort of my my personal intro and my, my student intro into the world of eating disorders and body image and psychology, really. 
Um, and then since then, I've been working a lot in body image, eating disorders, anxiety disorders, and with families and adolescents around um, family functioning and adolescent mental health as well. That is awesome. We need so many more practitioners like you. And I also love to hear that you were surrounded by like such like strong adults who are like, ah, no, because we know, especially with eating disorder, like prevention is like the best thing ever, right? So having um, adults there, family there that are able to create this like safe space for you to be like, how, how awesome. Definitely. And I mean, we were just sort of chatting, especially on kind of like the difficulty in the medical system just before we hit record. And I do have to say, you know, my, my family doc at the time was not a good source of support. Like I kind of got the, so what, what's your problem today when we went to talk about this kind of stuff? And I think it's one of the most controlled yet angry. I've seen my mother and then we left and then she developed her own way that we were going to do, you know, I think to her credit, something that was really quite similar to almost like a Maudsley um, treatment approach of this is the deal. These are your meals. Um, These are the the physical activities you're not going to be doing until things are in a better space. Yeah, that's so cool. Yay, moms. Yay, moms. <laughs> that's <sounds laughs> awesome. Because, yeah, it's super, super hard. Um, I mean, we could have a whole podcast on the healthcare system and eating disorder care. Like, I think it's such a big topic. But today, today we're focusing on emotions. So today we want to talk a little bit more about emotional regulation, especially um yeah, I think now nowadays we hear this term a lot, a lot. So maybe we could start by just kind of like unpacking, like what does it actually mean to like regulate an emotion and like, why do we need to regulate an emotion and kind of like unpacking that a little bit? So yes, um, especially <laughs> when we talk, yes to all of this. When, when we talk, um, you know, eating disorder symptoms, disordered eating, dieting, body image, one part that often really kind of gets overlooked is what is our emotional system doing, right? A lot of times we can think, well, okay, that's, it's more of the external, it's more behavioral things that we might be doing, but so many of these, these action patterns, the way of perceiving ourselves are really coming from a very kind of emotional space of sitting with or experiencing a feeling that we kind of feel is, is too uncomfortable or that we've deemed that is just not okay. So it's really important that we think, okay, how, so how do we understand and make some space for these things that really kind of underlie a lot of our our actions and a lot of our perceptions. I think when we hear emotion regulation, sometimes people, you know, I hear this a lot with clients with like, I'm just like, I can't control my emotions. And the good news is for anyone who's felt that way, you're not doing it wrong or failing because they're not really meant to be controlled, right? If we think, emotion regulation, that means that we're more able to kind of roll with it when our emotions are fluctuating. We're able to kind of see when things are starting to grow, starting to grow in intensity sooner. So they're not kind of catching up on us. Or if we're having kind of intense emotions, we have some some skills and some abilities to kind of soften them up, to validate ourselves and bring down the intensity. When we talk emotion regulation, we are not talking about you know, writing certain emotions off. If I'm regulated, I won't have them. Or feeling like I get to pick and choose, right? We don't get to order what we're going to feel off of the menu. Sometimes we have some guesses based on past experience or how the rest of our day has gone, but they come and go and they do their thing. So a lot of the emotional regulation is building some curiosity, some sense of safety, 
with our feelings and being willing to actually interact with them. I love everything that you said so much. And I think it's super validating this piece of like, we don't get to control it, right? Like, I think we all have this sense of like wanting to control, especially the unpleasant emotions. I feel like happiness, we're like, yes, <laughs> like I can like ride this way forever. But anything that feels more unpleasant, I feel like it can be super hard to hold that space. So I love when we think about regulation, it's like learning how to, right? It's not to take it away, but more to like tolerate, right? That wave and like maybe like, helping in terms of the intensity but it, emotions have purposes like we have those emotions for a reason before we move into like I guess a different reasons why we have emotions and like why they're there why do we have an emotional part of us um I'd love to talk about a little bit like your insight on like why do most people feel so uncomfortable around those unpleasant emotions like what is it about those emotions that we're like ah don't want to feel none of that it's even interesting, right? When you said, so these unpleasant emotions, like, you know, well, we wouldn't feel this way about happiness. Mm -hmm. It's weird. We make these assumptions and often, I mean, if we think of what are, what are uncomfortable emotions, or even if some people label them sort of like quote unquote, the bad feelings, mm -hmm. we might expect that people would say things like anger or anxiety or sadness, mm -hmm. but there are some people who would say, mm, you know, I've been depressed for a really long time. I can roll with sadness. I know that one. When I feel happy, that scares the crap out of me. I don't know what to do with it, or it freaks me out that it's not going to last. Right. So we all have our own sort of idiosyncratic rules about which feelings are comfortable, which ones are uncomfortable, times that we judge them and times that we push them away. Often though, the reason that we don't really have a lot of comfort with certain parts of, of our emotional kind of spectrum, because we haven't spent much time there. And that's often because we haven't really been encouraged to, right? I would imagine you probably see this in some folks that you work with, with eating disorders as well, right? That idea of, well, don't be angry, right? The idea of, of feeling and voicing anger, if we're saying no, like that, that's just not acceptable. Or when I do it, people find me unacceptable. Those folks may really be likely to kind of turn that inward and feel okay sitting in the, the anxious or kind of self-blaming sort of sadness place. I always think of then by the, the flip side of that, almost in my practice, a lot of the folks that I work with um, through the military will find, okay, yeah, no, no, sitting in that whole sad, scared thing, not for me. I can do anger or excitement really well. And so they, they tend to kind of go, okay, so how do I either be sort of stoic with things or turn them outward? And you know, those, those two kind of schemes don't hold for everybody that kind of falls in those sort of groups, but it's really interesting to see across different you know, genders, uh, ethnicities, cultures, age ranges of people, and even in different organizational or institutional roles that we come up with different rules about who gets to feel what. Oh my God. Yes. Like that is so, so true. It's so relevant. I remember for me growing up, like my family on my mom's side, we always call them like, it's the positivity side. Like all they know and all they want to talk about is what is positive, right? Like when you feel sad, like, I think I've shared this with you or maybe not. I've shared this with a group, like for us, like if you felt sad waking up or you were not in a good mood, you weren't positive about your day, you had to go back upstairs, go back to bed, get up the other side. Like it was the thing, right? Like you, you don't, we don't hold space for negativity because life is too short to feel negative, 
right? So what happens is you have all these children who like, when they have like those negative emotions, they're like, ah, put them down. <laughs> like I need to show up always in a way, which makes it really hard. And I know this is not my only, like my only experience, like, um, or I'm not the only one who's experienced this, but like different, um, even within our family system of what is okay and what is not okay, which can make it feel uncomfortable then when we feel those emotions growing up. And it's very much, I mean, what you're talking about is, is what we might refer to as almost like kind of happiness myth, right? That we're, we as people are supposed to wake up and be happy. Yeah. Positive only. Oh, the toxic <laughs> positivity. Just stop. <laughs> Can't get into this today. No. <laughs> I just, or any day it's, it's great to feel great. It's great to be our own internal cheerleaders to cheerlead other people. And when we move to that toxic positivity space, rather than just being or feeling positive, usually why that's tricky is we're either invalidating someone else's, you know, pain, fear, difficulty, or our own. When we go good vibes only, well, if I'm having a crap day and I tell myself that, then what I feel is wrong. And what do I do with that? Okay. If when you say, you know, growing up, it's, I find it interesting. So my mom's side of the family is Greek. My dad's side of the family is primarily Scottish. So even in terms of different intensities of emotion, right? What on one family dinner is pretty loud and boisterous and the other isn't. So it's, it's all a lot of, you know, what we see modeled for us growing up, what we are told to do, what we're positively or negatively enforced for doing. We, we tend to carry these messages with us. And in adulthood, that can kind of mean, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of skill or experience, or maybe I don't even see the value of certain parts of that emotional spectrum. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So basically, if you feel uncomfortable with emotion, you are not broken, <laughs> I think a lot of us have felt this at some point in time, and then we can start befriending our emotions. Absolutely. There was, there was something I heard a while ago where the way that they phrased it was, you know, when, when that emotion comes up and we can say this around an emotion, but we can also say this even like as an urge, if we have kind of some, some go-to coping strategies that we're, we're not big fans of, or maybe we're trying to shift out of when we get that overwhelming feeling, instead of going like, oh, I need to stuff this down or get rid of it or judge it. Can I treat it as an invitation to get curious about what's happening? Hmm, I'm feeling something. Okay. It's perfectly fine to say, and I, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I just know it's there. And I'm kind of willing to sit in that discomfort um, because it's, it's uncomfortable and it's not dangerous. Like you said earlier, right? There are reasons that we have these. There's reasons that our brain and our body do this stuff. So even if we're not comfortable with it or it doesn't feel kind of cozy, they are not dangerous for us. They're just, you know, another piece of information from our system. I love that so much. So let's talk maybe a little bit about the purpose of different emotions. I know we had talked about having those, there's different like prime, I guess, emotions. I don't know how you word it, but there's different like core emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe you could talk about that and like, what are the purpose that we have them? Like, why, why is it that we would feel sad or upset or happy even? Like, what's the purpose of all of, all of these? So yeah, that's exactly it that we, we have, it's almost like if we think of like ingredients, if we're cooking or baking, we as humans have kind of our five core emotions. We have the the happiness, joy emotion. We have sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. And if anyone's seen inside out, you may have kind of their little characters jumping right into your head. I know that I always do. (laughs) And, 
And the movie did a really great job of going like, hey, they all get a turn at the control table, right? They're all there for a very good reason. And then as we develop kind of better and bigger emotional vocabularies, especially as grownups, we we kind of mix them up. And then we'll have some sort of compound emotions that may be, you know, primarily kind of anger with a dose of, you know, sadness and kind of like a splash of disgust in there. And we can develop all these kind of more fine-tuned descriptions for what we might feel. So, so why do we have this? Happiness. That's usually an easy one to accept why we might have this, right? It feels pretty good. It's, it's a bit of a rush. It also orients us towards things that are safe for us and what we want more of. When we think of anger, well, anger shows up for us when we've had like almost like a boundary transgression, right? If something kind of comes at us too fast, too big, or comes too close to us. And if anyone has pets, when you think of like, well, okay, they get sort of, they get encroached upon, they puff up, right? They send a very strong cue of like back up. And that's what anger does. Anger says, you've come too close to me. I am not okay with this. And it is a very activating and kind of energizing and kind of, it is our own sort of like animal world of like puff up feeling. If you think I got pissed, I, I probably didn't curl up on myself. When we think of sadness, sadness helps us know like, okay, we, we had an important loss or it's time for me to slow down or I'm having an unmet need. Maybe I'm feeling lonely or disconnected, right? And these aren't that idea of loneliness or disconnection or grief. These aren't kind of, you know, fluffy feel good things that we've come up with recently. And, you know, as our lives have gotten a little bit, a little bit easier in the modern age, these are really kind of core hardwired um, needs that we have, that we have big parts of our brains that are all about connecting with one another. When it comes to disgust, you know, back in the day, that was our like, don't eat that. Like, and not in an eating disorder or diet way. And like, "Mm, no, that's gone bad. That's going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just, just don't. It smells wrong. Doesn't seem okay. And we can also think of that when we're thinking, well, what, you know, if we if we come in contact with something or something is going on that really kind of offends our own ethics or moral sensibility, right? We might hear about something and almost and make that sort of very universally identified disgust face about what's going on. And lastly, my very good friend, Anxiety, will welcome her to the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) This in the right doses helps us to stay safe and helps us to perform, right? When we think of the the biggest, baddest anxiety reaction, um, you know, from in a psychologist's office, we might usually term that a panic attack. However, if we're actually in real danger, our body does the exact same thing and we call it our fight or flight response. So we... When it, when it comes to any of our emotions, not just anxiety, where we run into trouble is when our intensity and in what's coming up isn't a good fit for the situation. All of them at their proper kind of doses and timing do really great things to help us you know, function, know ourselves, um, know how we want to interact with other people in the world. Things just get a little bit messy when we get stuck in one for, for too long or that intensity isn't matching up with the situation. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's such a great way to like, just kind of break it down and have the rules of like, it feels like it's all of it is to protect us, right. To help us be here, survive, thrive, be, be here. And when you say that emotional intensity, I know you've mentioned this before. Um, when we had talked previously, there's a peak of an emotion. Like, can you tell our listeners, like how long would an emotion last? Like, is it something that like is forever? 
No, <laughs> we, we don't, we don't have the stamina to do it. Right. When we think of anything that's kind of intense in our body, it's almost sort of like doing a sprint, right? We, we can, we can kind of crack it out for a little bit, but then things start to come back to normal. The thing with thing with emotional stuff is, you know, most of our kind of peak or really big emotions kind of have this like wave of, you know, a, about 90 seconds or so. What gets murky though, is when people are more stuck, right? Someone with a major, in a major depressive episode is not experiencing kind of sadness in the typical way that if, if we're not feeling depressed or we're not in that kind of episode, sadness is going to kind of ebb and flow where we get kind of these peaks for that short bit of time but we might kind of stay in a lower grade sadness a little bit longer. When we're talking about people who are in sort of that more stuck space around something like a depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder, their bar has moved up a little bit. So they're getting still possibly these spikes, but there's something else kind of biologically going on. I just preface that because if, you know, I'm just thinking, okay, if I was somebody experiencing depression right now and I heard like 90 seconds, yeah, right. I've been feeling like this way for three months. So nice try. Fuck this podcast. This is bullshit. <laughs> this lady does not know what she's talking about. Yeah, let, let me stop listening now. And I but think yeah, it's, a, it's a really important distinction, right? When we're talking yeah. something that is is a mental health concern, the whole reason we're saying that's something diagnosable and that we need to treat is because it's too much, too intense, too long. It's not shifting according to kind of our natural ebbs and flows where our emotions work with us and work for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like a really important distinction too. Um, but also then just looking at like that normal ebb and flow that we tend to have. I know like for me hearing this, I was like, oh, like that feels kind of good. You know, like when we think of like urge surfing or when we have those intense emotions and then when we'll talk a little bit about that, like regulation or distress tolerance, knowing like this high intensity feeling doesn't last, right? Like it, it feels um, almost like reassuring. <laughs> yeah. And that, that urge surfing is really nice. Cause if we're saying like, yeah, it, it peaks and it's really intense. And it's not that I'm sort of back dry on the beach right after I might be, I might be getting kind of wave after wave, but there's space in between the sets of those waves where I can go, okay, I'm, I'm down at a bit of a lower intensity. I can kind of catch my breath. And if I have to be able to go again, Yeah, I love that. So can we talk maybe a little bit about like, how do we regulate our emotion? Like, what does it actually look like? If someone is, you know, we have all these emotions as human beings, like how, how do we learn to regulate and how does that happen? I think a couple things in a more sort of like prevention is the best medicine. Um, You know, those, these all day, everyday kind of things that we can be doing. I always think back to one of my undergrad profs who were sitting there going like, okay, but so why, if we know all this prevention stuff around mental health works, like why, why can't you get grant funding and stuff for this? And his point was prevention's not sexy. You can't show that like you fixed a problem. Mm. And a lot of our preventative stuff when it comes with emotion regulation is not particularly sexy or exciting. It's saying, am I doing my general self-care, the sort of mundane stuff? day in, day out? Am I feeding my body adequately? Am I sleeping enough? Am I, am I getting in sometimes where I do get to kind of take care of myself in whatever way feels pleasurable or relaxing for me, making some time to kind of have some, some good quality connections with people. If I'm taking any medications for any reason, am I being kind of diligent or, or kind of 
following my typical prescribed pattern with those things. So we're saying there's a lot that we can be doing day in and day out to kind of make ourselves as the most resilient that we can be so that when a big stressor does hit, our, our emotional systems aren't kind of thrown for a loop. Right. Yeah, I love that. Like when we think of those, you know, some of the like the the kind of hangry idea of those commercials. Anybody has little kids around, that idea that like, whew, they hit the wall. What's going on? Are they tired, hungry, under the weather? Mm-hmm. We like to think of ourselves as being super fancy because we do things like drive and pay taxes and things, but our biology isn't that different. So those things that work for little kids are a really good place for us to start with ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Cause like you say, like, even if it's not like sexy to do your regular stuff, it is so, so helpful. Like I find it like, for me, it's like, if some of these like key pillars <laughs> for me are not going well, it's almost like you like, there's a, an expression in French. That's like, you have, um, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to say it in English, but like, there's an expression in French. It's like your, your skin is like rose petals. Like we mm. become just very like fragile emotionally. And like, I am definitely one of these like super feeler people that I feel a lot. And then if, if I don't sleep well, then it's like times 300 million. I'm like, Oh my God, like everything feels a little harder. So I think that's such a cool first tip of like regular, like self-care, like just what in general can you do to make sure that you're okay? Mm-hmm. It's it's a great example, right? If we are kind of, we're feeling almost like we're kind of paper, paper thin or really kind of vulnerable to the impact of other stressors, right? When we're in those moments of being maybe crappy sleep, too busy, just not like really off. I noticed that too, right? Just off of those things that I do on a regular basis. And they don't have to be perfect every day. That's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're a lot more resilient than that, but like, am I in that groove or in that routine that generally keeps me feeling well in my body? Um, when we're not doing that, you know, I'm sure everybody listening can think of those moments of like, oh my gosh. And then my phone or my computer beeps I'm like, oh, what now? Oh my God, I can't do this. <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, that was uh, like a sale email. <laughs> no big deal. No actionable item. But we almost like hit the roof thinking, like what now? I just can't. Mm-hmm. Because we we really, when we assess, I think our own kind of our own emotional or coping buckets, our own space, we're going, I, I don't have any room for any other request, um, someone else needing my energy. Like I am full. Yeah, I, I love that. Like even that like awareness of capacity, like that's something we talk a lot about, like knowing our capacity, but also allowing that to change day to day, right? Of like being able and aware to be like, okay, here's, <laughs> here's where I'm at, where I am at and here's what I need. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that too, right? Cause the, again, following sort of those day-to-day sort of things, I think the second thing I would be saying to like, if we want to build and kind of continue honing our um, emotional regulation is that mind shift of, instead of, I need to push these feelings away or they just show up to bother me, getting curious. And just like you're saying, I mean, that idea of, can I play with my experience a bit? Can I find these ways to, at regular intervals? And it's something that I recommend to people a lot, especially when they're a bit detached from their experience, saying at different transition points in your day, can you almost just take a pause and like take your emotional temperature? When I just pause in between, you know, transfer to the next event, take a couple breaths and just say, okay, like, where am I at? Where do I feel tension? 
can, can I name an emotion that I'm feeling right now? We get so much better at just thinking, okay, it's not so scary. I know what to do. And we can also catch sooner those kind of shifts or when things are ramping up on us so that we're not saying I was totally almost separate from my emotions until they do this thing that we do, even if we're really good at compartmentalizing, they throw a bit of a revolt, right? They, they can be ignored for a while and some of us can be pretty good at doing that, but they don't stay buried. Mm-hmm. They kind of almost do this pressure cooker thing where then they come cracking through often at times where it's sort of like this like last straw moment and we're like, okay, I feel nuts. The people around me don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden I'm just crying. You're like, I don't know why I'm crying about this like paper. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, I'm just interrupting this podcast episode to tell you about a free class that I am hosting. So this episode is all about emotions, right? And a lot of us, when we think of emotions, it can be something that we've learned to regulate in different ways. And food can be one of those ways, right? Like raise your hand right now if you are an emotional eater or if food for you is a way that we use to comfort, right? Most of us are. And sometimes what happens with that is that we become, um, yeah, we start feeling really guilty and our relationship to food starts to suffer. But did you know that most emotional eaters are actually dieters? Dieting has a huge impact on how we use food as a way to cope. So if that is you, if you have been a chronic dieter, maybe you're an emotional eater now, maybe your relationship to food is not where you want it to be, I want to invite you to this free class where I'm gonna walk you step by step how we can actually start this process of healing your relationship with food and to our body, right? We want our relationship to food to be joyful, to be helpful, to be, something that is just simple right we can still care for health and do all these things but without being you know restrictive or coming from a place of diets um, or shame so if you are interested in learning my step-by-step process to heal your relationship to food to your body to eat without guilt to feel confident in your body to learn more about emotional eating and ways to cope without food this class is for you. So I'm super pumped to invite you. You can go to www.thebalancepractice.com forge slash sign up. So I'm super excited. The link will also be in the show notes. So check it out. A hundred percent. I love that. So I love this piece of like, key regulation would mean like day-to-day stuff that we do. So our self-care, but also check-ins, like allowing yourself to check in. And that's something we do a lot with like food, right? Like in terms mm-hmm. of like reconnecting to our body, like we can't just expect to be like, oh, here, I'm like so connected and I know exactly. So we need to have those check-in that are initially a little bit more like quote unquote work, right? Like it has to be more intentional of like, okay, how do I feel right now? Like, oh, like just being curious, but eventually it gets easier to tune into those emotions when we have that practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great parallel between, you know, if we're trying to kind of learn back about kind of hunger cues or what's satisfying for our bodies, it, it's, it's something that our body knows to naturally do, but it's something we can get out of practice of. Mm-hmm. So if we're just saying like, where is, what's my need? What's my hunger right now? Whether that's kind of physical hunger, food-based or kind of emotional hunger or emotional need for satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I remember like I was so disconnected from emotions that like I would ask myself and I'm like, 
it's literally blank in my head. I'm like, there's not even like one thing. <laughs> like, and it's not that I wasn't trying. I was just like, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. But like the more like continuously asking and checking in, and then the nuances of like, okay, like it's not completely blank today. I feel a little bit more this than yesterday. And like the more that we do it, the more that we practice that skill and the more that it, it does get easier to do. Mm-hmm. For sure. And sometimes it's, I mean, those, if anyone's sort of seen like the emotion wheels, Google emotion wheel, and there are a whole bunch that are online, but sometimes even having one of those, like I will, I have one saved in like the photos of my phone for if I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm having a moment. Okay. Orient to something, right. Just pick a label. Like what is going <laughs> on right now? Just pick something. It is, you can always revise it later. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just pick a thing. Um, because it is, it's okay for us to not know. And really in that moment, we have to say, okay, well, so I checked. I, I don't know. I'm not going to chastise myself for that. Sometimes even then going to, hmm, are there any like physical sensations that I feel that might give me a cue? Another interesting exercise, if if people often find, oh yeah, I don't, I, I kind of go to that I don't know place or hit the wall in certain parts of our emotional spectrum. It's sometimes an exercise that I'll do with clients is saying, okay, we'll pick a feeling. If we say happy what are all the happiness words that come to mind, right? Because if we're thinking that idea of, okay, if for us, you know, either as individuals or or culturally, if something is important or given value, we have more ways of expressing it or of describing it. And it's around the, I think that idea of like, and I can never remember what the numbers are, but that idea of like that the Inuit have so many numbers for, or words for snow. Mm. Because it's 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 central to life, right? So if we're thinking, you know, if I tell you, well, okay, I'm almost 41 and I can give you like two happy words, you might think you might want to develop that vocabulary a little bit more. Like that, that might be a whole lot more central to your experience than you're giving credit to. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. I've never, I've never heard that before with the words. Yeah. So it's it's thinking, can we, can we just play like almost do it as like a board game, right? Whoever gets the most wins. (laughs) Um, You know, we can try that with any of our five kind of core emotions and then thinking, okay, oh, grab the emotion wheel and say, okay, are there any of these words that we just don't know? Sometimes I'll do that with the adolescents I work with. Are there any of these that don't sound familiar at all? Let's actually look up. Okay. That's the definition. Can you think of a time that that's fit? Oh, I love that so, so much. And then in terms of like in the moment, um, having a strong emotion that comes up, we talked a little bit about like, like how do we like regulate that and like the stress tolerance, like what tips do you have for people like in those moments to be able to like maybe mm-hmm. come down or come in, up depending? It's a good point, right? Come down or come up because a lot of times we think, we only think of the, oh, I need to bring this down, right? It, it revved up and it's too big. And from a nervous system perspective, we can think of this as being like our, more of our sympathetic nervous system activation, right? That's that kind of gears up. It's kind of, it's active. It's looking for things. It's at its bigger end, that kind of fight or flight response where sometimes we're thinking this is just too intense, right? It is too much to sit with. I want to bring this down. We want to be able to pair that with things that bring on kind of soothing and that give our nervous system more of a sense of safety. So that's where sometimes coming back to the breath, right? There's a big, big feedback loop. If, if I'm starting to feel that really activated feeling, or I'm getting that big swell of emotion and I'm hyperventilating, well, they're feeding each other. 
the more kind of, let's say, anxious I get and the more rapidly and kind of shallow I'm breathing, it's actually giving my system the information of, oh, yeah, things aren't going well. There really must be danger here, right? And we we keep going and going and it builds. Instead of we think, okay, that's, I'm having a big wave right now. Can I follow my breath? The follow my breath idea is fantastic because it is free. It is always accessible to us and you can do it anywhere. Like you're never going to look like, whoo, you're really losing it for like breathing when you're at work. It's just not a thing anyone's going to judge too harshly. And there's, there's a quote in, there's a book called the mindful way through depression. because I have a very old copy. It has like a CD in it, but the, (laughs) you can get digital versions of these, (laughs) But the John Kabat-Zinn, who's a big mindfulness um, person, is the narrator for the, the audio tracks. And one of his lines at the very beginning is, as long as you're breathing, there's more right with you than wrong with you. And that for me has always stuck as, as kind of a mantra statement to go back to, as kind of that touchstone of, okay, I'm way up here on this wave right now, right? Everything feels really stormy. And I feel like the kind of the wave is too big. I can come back to my breath. And if we're saying, I want to come back to kind of breathing into my belly, bringing that kind of down lower and slower, that may be counting. So maybe I'm coming, you know, in for say four, five, six, seven seconds. There's no kind of magic number here. I'm holding for some model, say four seconds, but whatever feels right and doable for you. And then a slow exhale right? Sometimes people will say I'm, you know, I'm breathing and I'm almost kind of tracing the corners and sides of a box as a, as a visual, sometimes even saying, okay, I'm going to kind of come out of my body a bit to ground. I might look in my space to see what are things that I can see that I can smell, taste, touch here, right? Looking to anchor ourselves in our environment and coming back to kind of our basic senses. Um, Other people find things, even kind of like objects or fidgets to be really helpful. And my suggestion to people is always like, spend a little bit of time and think of, okay, when I'm really in a a calm and soothed kind of headspace and body space, what does that feel like in my body? So if my posture changes, okay, If I remember that, can I, when that wave comes up, really sort of like drop my shoulders or lean back in my chair to start bringing on our nervous system saying, okay, we're coming to a place of safety here. If I really gravitate towards certain kinds of music, cool. Can I have a playlist where I have those things where that's kind of at my fingertips? If there are certain colors that go along with that calm kind of space for me, can I, can I do things to incorporate that. Um, sometimes even like, you know, happy memory pictures, pictures or videos of nature can be good in terms of the calm down. Um, on the flip side of things, if we feel like we've really kind of deactivated, um, sometimes this happens for people when they almost get a little bit kind of checked out of their experience or dissociative. What can I do to almost bring my system back up? This might be doing kind of a, like a quick burst of movement, like some jumping jacks or running on the spot. This might mean, can I splash some cold water on my face? Or I might even want to kind of throw on some music that's kind of louder or even like maybe even a little bit unpleasant to my system, right? I'm trying to wake things up and almost go like, okay, we're coming back up. We're coming back up. Let's, let's kind of get ready to go through our sympathetic kind of that, that middle ground and back up into that kind of calm space. 
I love that so much how it's like proactive work too, right? Of things that we're able to do kind of build our toolbox in advance. So when we get into this like emotionally heightened space, we don't have to like, okay, what can I do now? What are my tools? Like, ah, that we're like, okay, wait, can I just kind of like go to my, go to my mm-hmm. toolbox? What are the things that I can do? Like, I think that's such a cool, such a really great tip for listeners. Like as you listen to start like thinking about those different things that we're able to do that are either supportive to like calm ourselves, create safeness for us, bring us back down or in the opposite, like when we need our energy to be up. When for me, that's often in this piece where I'm starting to feel like, and it's almost weird because I feel like overwhelm should be the high, but for me, overwhelm gets me in a space of like detaching. I'm like, oh no so much but then like coming back like okay music like music is something that's so helpful I find in like movement to be like all right (laughs) we're here we're back yeah and if we think of our sort of like our what we would refer to as our window of tolerance as sort of this kind of middle band right where we can it's not one point it's it's kind of a range and people's ranges will be different widths maybe it'll vary from person to person but may also depend that changes within the person themselves, depending on what they've got going on, right? Our window can be kind of shrunk up for a little bit. When we think when we pop too high up out of it, like we're overstimulated, that's a kind of overwhelmed, really anxious. When we dip too low, that's our kind of our shut, our shutdown kind of mode, our shutdown, immobilized, kind of despondent space. And we don't always go kind of from the middle of our window up or down. Sometimes we kind of pop up and our, our system kind of burns out being too overstimulated too long and we drop right back down to the basement and it's kind of that whoa, just collapse right from too much which if anyone's experienced real kind of burnout um we go from sort of that tired but wired overly anxious to just hit the wall mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all of these tips with our listeners. I think that's really, really cool. Um, the last thing I want to just connect on is this piece of like distress tolerance. Cause I feel like that can feel, um, or can sound, I know when I talk to clients about this, they're like distress, what do you mean? I'll have to like go through like distress. So talking about that piece, when you say like, we have this window, like, what does it mean really like that distress tolerance? Like how would you explain it? Yeah, our distress tolerance skills come from dialectical behavior therapy is really a big place where those distress tolerance skills are are a big part of the treatment. Um, What we're looking at there is, okay, what, what gets me through this kind of stormy period? Almost like if we're taking that wave analogy, right? What, what sort of that floaty boy that I can hang on to? Often when we talk about distress tolerance with, with people like, yeah, that's not going to fix the problem. Exactly. You are exactly right. And they're, and they're only kind of not meant to. They're, they're something that we can do to offset or to kind of get the, that need met or meet an urge that isn't damaging or dangerous in any way. Right. So some of those examples are, you know, if, if people have, have stronger urges around maybe things that might be risky or damaging for them because it offers kind of a real shift in their attention or it breaks the tension if we're looking at what is something else that may be things like some of the classic ones are like, you know, holding ice cubes, the, the bite, the lemon or eat something that's really kind of intense, right? Hot sauce on the tongue where we're saying, yeah, that's going to shock your system out of it. It's going to give a bit of that release or a bit of that, you know, if you're sort of more dissociative coming back into your body in a really strong way, but it's not damaging. Mm-hmm. And so there doesn't have to be that whole, like almost, you know, emotional hangover piece of, oh, I, I, I did that kind of, you know, that target behavior or that old pattern when the urge was really high. 
because in the past it's gotten me through. But a lot of times when people are, are acting on that urge, when they're wanting to change a pattern, they get this whole emotional hangover piece of, why did I do this to myself? I failed again, like kind of that, that guilt or shame. And when we're putting in a different distress tolerance strategy, we're saying, of course, I, something was really intense. I needed something to kind of shift me, to get me through. And this is what I'm actively choosing. No guilt or shame. I, I just did what my body needed. Yeah. Amazing. I, I adore everything that you say because it's so true. And I think it takes away a lot of pressure of like, I need to find the coping skills that's going to take everything away. Cause that's not the goal with distress tolerance, right? The goal is to, to support ourselves through not mm-hmm. solve problems. Just the same way that the goal is not to take away all the emotions. Like our and, goal is to be able to, to be there with it. Right. And to, to, especially in some times, you know, from, from where kind of distress tolerance skills are clinically really applied of saying, this is something that's kind of, it's pushing us to do something that may very well be quite, quite dangerous or damaging, or this really isn't in line with our values. Um, and that's not a, you know, a character judgment on, on us. It's saying, I am really, really struggling right now. Yes. And I need, I need something strong. I need something that's going to kind of be a dose that matches this, this really kind of intense peak in my storm. I, a couple of my seasonal favorites, since now here in Ottawa, we are in cold weather mode <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and preface this with, these are both things that I realized by accident that were highly unpleasant at the time. Item one, the intense cough drops, right? So I always think of the, the Halls brand ones that are in like the black wrapping, they're, they're white, the super like menthol-y. Pop in one of those and go outside when it's cold. This brought to you by a very uncomfortable experience I had in a chairlift. <laughs> but it also works, right, even to open a window. I have a couple clients who use this and said like, yeah, you know, I, I just, when it's warm outside, I just open the freezer and take a deep breath. Like, the right. same thing works if anybody likes um, like peppermint oils or that kind of thing. Putting a little bit on kind of around like your hairline or your temples and then stepping out into the cold, you will get a very intense experience. It's quite hard to ignore. I love that so much. Like the big things that you like shock your body and like temperature is such a big like helper in terms of that. Like it's so helpful. Like I always imagine that when I explain it to clients, like, I don't know if you've ever had like, or if you do have siblings, like put an ice cube down your back and you're just like, Ah, like whole body reaction. Cause like your brain's just like, I can't process anything right now. Aside from the fact that there's an ice cube down my back. <laughs> we go impossible to ignore my whole body jumps That's to it. attention. That's it. So right. I even like that. cold water on my face, cold shower. Um, it, those the cold shower stuff can be a really great um, distress tolerance strategy. It can also be a really good kind of just normal sort of day-to-day nervous system, um, calm and calming strategy as well. It takes a little bit to get used to. Um, it is not necessarily comfortable, but it, it does a really nice job of kind of down-regulating some kind of some nervous energy. If anybody's willing to give that a go. Ooh, that is interesting. Um, all right. So last question for you, any tips that you have for listeners who are interested in learning more about their emotion or how to like support themselves into regulating their emotions? Be really clear with yourself that this is something you are interested 
and you want to do, right? Because as soon as we're being really clear in, in those values-based statements, we're saying, this is part of my experience that is important to me. If I want to be, you know, healing my relationship with my body, with myself, we can't really do that without also including our, our emotional world. It's a big part of our experience. And it's a big part of almost sort of the lens or the filter that we see ourselves in the world through. So making that a priority, making space when things are important, we don't find space to do them. We make space to do them. It's kind of a bit of a cliche statement, but it really holds true. So that might mean at regular intervals during my day, I'm doing that kind of emotional check-in something that takes, you know, especially once we get good at it, maybe 30 seconds during my week, am I finding a bit of time to do a bit of journaling, right? And that might be picking, you know, one part of the emotional experience, one of those core emotions, and even writing a little bit about what, how was this dealt with growing up? How was this modeled for me? What do I know about this? What are my feelings about doing it? Mm -hmm. How am I, how often do I kind of sit here that I'm aware of? Um, and, and really sort of making space to explore those different parts of our emotional experience, kind of not just the good ones, but also not just the one that we find kind of most problematic, right? If we go, Oh, anxiety shows up for me a lot. I'm just going to tackle this. Well, cool. She probably deserves some attention, but let's also round it out so that we're not just viewing our emotions as these things that are difficult or uncomfortable. I love that. And I'm going to add for that, that if you guys need support with this, I think we'll normalize. I think that's what we do on this podcast. We normalize like therapy and Mm -hmm. working on these things because this can be difficult for a lot of us, right? And like getting support if if you have access to it, I think can be such a beautiful part of the healing process too. Um, Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Awesome. It's the therapy and kind of reaching out and finding different ways of, of learning about ourselves and learning about our feelings can be a big one because we all sort of take for granted that, well, okay, the, the way I learned and grew up doing this is sort of just the way. And sometimes as adults, we go, Ooh, but it wasn't a way that fit well for me, but I still don't know how to do it in a different way. Yeah, it's hard. And I think sometimes too, it's like having like a third person kind of like call us in on different things, right. It can be so hard. Like when you've lived with your own body, your own experience and done all the things that sometimes it can kind of be hard to detach and understand those patterns. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, reaching out like therapy for me has been such a game changer. So I recommend to everyone. I think it's the best thing. <laughs> I would say, and it's one of my current like books that I'm recommending to everybody because I, I had the uh, ability to do some, some training uh, that Deb Dana was offering. And she's the author of a book called Befriending Your Nervous System. She does a lot of writing and therapy around the polyvagal theory, which when I was mentioning earlier, sort of that like sympathetic activation and kind of that shutdown and stuff, the the kind of self-study that went along with her training was amazing, but also her book, especially as an audio book, she's super soothing. That was a very kind of powerful kind of self-discovery tool and kind of self, self-guided therapy that I was doing recently. So Befriending Your Nervous System by Deb Dana. Loved it. Big recommendation. Awesome. Thank you so much. So where can people find you if they want to work with you? Where can they learn more about you? So our practice website is integratedottawa.ca. And I'm also on Instagram at uh, Dr. Megan Gallagher. Awesome. And all of that will be in the show notes for you guys. So you can go follow her on Instagram. She's doing reels now too. So check it out. Um, and the website will be there as well. So let's end with our five fun questions. Wait, I think there's four, four or five. (laughs) (laughs) 
let's just do our fun questions. Uh, the first one is, what is your favorite food? Pizza. Yes. Hawaii, uh, like pineapple on it or no pineapple on it? No. Oh, no. You're like the no pineapple team. I mean, I'd rather have pineapple pizza than no pizza. But if I <laughs> if I get, to, if I'm the one doing the ordering, I'm more of sort of like the, the hot peppers or kind of spicy things. Okay. Awesome. Um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. I hate waiting in lines and my family lives far away. I love that. Um, what is your favorite way to self-care? Saying no. Ooh, that's a good one. It was a hard one for me to learn, but, um, you know, coming from almost yeah, refuting that idea of we have to come from a place of yes. I always think of if anybody watched Modern Family, there's one episode where Claire, the mom, is like, oh, I'm not going to be a negative person. I'm going to say yes to everything. And it's a gong show of an experiment. The idea of like, I, I'm not being a negative person by saying no. It just means I have a boundary and I'm respecting my my own time and energy. I love that so much. And last question for you, because this is the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. What does balance mean to you? Balance means to me that we are flexible, right? It's not this kind of this one balanced point that we're we're always kind of taking into account a lot of different moving spheres in our life around our areas of interest, our you know our relationships, the external factors, internal factors that we're we're actually able to kind of ebb and flow with the the things that add to our energy and the things that subtract to our, from our energy on kind of a a regular basis. I love that so, so much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing all of your wisdom with us. I think this was super supportive for people. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Wasn't this episode just so awesome? It's so cool to talk about emotions in such an open and safe space. I know it was not always the case for me. So I hope that this conversation was helpful for you to start like unpacking the roles of different emotions and just bringing this conversation to surface, right? Top of mind. So we can start thinking more about all of this good stuff. If you like this episode, please don't forget to like, to share and to review the podcast episode. Like this would mean so, so much to me. And this week I'm adding something special. If you review the podcast this week, I will buy your next coffee. All you have to do is leave me a five-star review and write a review and send me a screenshot on Instagram and I will send you a Starbucks gift card. That is right. I want to say thank you for your time and also helping me reach more people, right? The goal of this podcast is to continue to create more content and educate people on all things diet, culture, food, body, and mind. So on that note, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I will catch you in the next one. Bye.